0: And uh, it is a blessing to see God's design and purpose. If you've ever asked the question, God, I want to know your will. Um, you'll find these are questions that have been asked all throughout history. And, and the prophets were asking that. If you've ever asked the question or thought in your mind, God, when are you going to act? How long are you going to put up with this? When are you going to do something about this? Um, You'll find that the prophets were asking that as well. Just in a, a slight overview, the book of Micah is really written to the common people. Sometimes books are, are written more to the priests or leaders. And it was written due to the religious hypocrisy. We'll be coming back and looking at that in more detail. He prophesied about Jesus' first coming and also his second coming. You may not realize it, but um, probably every Christmas season you are reminded of the book of Micah because in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, he prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was born that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a famous city now, but in that time... It was like saying Jesus would be born in Sheraton, Iowa, you know. We know it, but nobody else knows it. And, and yet, Micah prophesied that about his first coming, about his second coming, proportionately there is more about Christ's comings in the book of Micah than any of the other prophets. The book of Nahum. We just looked at Jonah, and we saw that Jonah proclaimed the truth. They repented, the Ninevites, but Nahum is prophesying that Nineveh will be destroyed. They were the bitter enemies of Israel, and Nahum is prophesying that Judah would be freed from their wicked oppression. That was music to their ears. And um, he, he spoke to the leaders as well as the common people. And he spoke of a jealous God. God alone has the right to be jealous because he is deserving of all honor and praise. Who will bring judgment on unrepentant sinners. That's kind of the theme of, of Nahum. Habakkuk is, is a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. Somewhat like the book of Job. And, and Habakkuk is asking, God, when are you going to, when are you going to bring judgment? How long until you bring judgment? And God says, I'm bringing judgment. And he then went on and said to Habakkuk, I'm bringing judgment. I'm bringing your enemies to wipe out Israel. And, and Habakkuk's like, no, no, that's not... I'm asking you to wipe them out, not us. And in the book of Habakkuk, God says, no, trust me. I'm bringing them to bring judgment on Israel. And then he says, and I will bring judgment on them... And then he says, and I will restore Israel and set up my kingdom. The book of Habakkuk is a short book, very fascinating book. And if you've ever had your plan and your idea of how God could really glorify his name and it didn't happen that way, read the book of Habakkuk. Okay. And we've all had those. All right. But today... We want to come back to the book of Micah. In this time in Israel's history that Micah was addressing, the people had grown weary. It sounds bad to say this, but they had grown weary and bored with their God. They were just going through the motions when it came to worshiping this amazing God, who had been at the center of their lives for so very long, but they had come to the point where they were, in essence, bored with God. He had delivered them from their oppressors, raised up mighty leaders, sent truthful prophets to them, and brought all the people to a full awareness of His righteousness, And then it became, ho-hum. Do we ever get to that place? Sad to say we do. Notice in Micah chapter 6, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. And notice what it says. Hear now what the Lord says. So this is the Lord speaking. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint, and you strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. So, here's God's complaint. Verse 3, O my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember now what Balak king of Moab counseled, and what Balaam the son of Boor, answered him. From Achaia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know that the righteousness of the Lord. So, he says, I've done all these things for you. Why, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned away? Why have you become just ho-hum in your service? Beginning in verse 6, then, is a response of the people, the heart, The leaders, after they are accused of God, and God says, Bring out your witnesses, if if this is different. Verse 6, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So, God says, I did all these things for you, and now you've left your first love. And they didn't say, no, we hadn't. They responded, in a sense, um. Okay, um, what shall we do? Let's 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 do all these external things. Um, um, let's bring and and a multitude of calves and and sacrifice them. Let's bring all this olive oil and and sacrifice it and and give it to you, God. And and what else might you want us to do? And and they were so infiltrated with paganism, the pagans. The ultimate of their sacrifice to their God was offering their firstborn child. And they came and said, do you want us to offer our firstborn child to you? And their response had to grieve God terribly. In verse 8 it says, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God? So in this passage, he shows us, first of all, what God does not want from his people. He does not want just an outward show of sacrifice and commitment Micah would expect the false leaders to first turn to conspicuous acts of sacrifice says oh the god is upset so uh, what can we do to make him not upset they didn't understand the nature of god they didn't understand the heart of god and and their response what ca- What payment can we make to get God off our backs? What can we do? Burnt offerings, thousands of rams, my firstborn. How can we even the scoreboard here? And Micah prophesied and said, that's not it. God is not a about putting all the outward things in order when inwardly it's still a mess. So he says, let me tell you what God requires of you. You want to know God's will? This is God's will. We we get mixed up on God's will. We think it's some blazing Vision or message or something. This is, you want to know what God's will is for you this week, today? He says, number one, to do justly. As a child of God, wherever you go, wherever you are, act in a just, fair way to others. Treat them as you would like to be treated. That's the golden rule, isn't it? This is, this is exactly what Jesus was teaching, to practice justice. So can you imagine if we as Christians went out and, and we treated people justly? God says, I want what he's saying through this, and we'll come back and reiterate it, I want you to live my life not to be coming and, well, what do you want me to do? Go to church every day. What do you want me to do? Pray 10 hours a day. What do you want me to do, God, in in order to get your blood? He says, this is what I want you to do. Be my representative wherever you are. When you go into Casey's and the coffee's cold, how would... You like to be treated if you were the worker at Casey's and the coffee was cold. Do justice right then and there. Any heathen can walk in, what's the matter with this coffee? This coffee's cold and good grief. I'm gonna take my business someplace else. There is no other place in Sheraton but Casey's, right? You'll go to the other Casey's, right? No. Act justly. It it's in these things. You take your tire in to get fixed, and they fix it, and two days later it's flat again. And you think, those bums act justly. How would I like to be treated if, if, if I'd made a mistake in fixing a tire? They're human beings. We're human beings. Your neighbor blows all his dandelion weeds on your yard. So what? I mean, he's dealing. Get a leaf blower. There you go, Jason. Blow him back, right? <laughs> you know what I like about Jason? He, t- he says what most of you are thinking. Right, Jason? All right. But God, you know what? God is much more concerned that when we go out from here today, we do justly than that we sat up here today in our nice places, in our air-conditioned church. Church has its place, but the church needs to go out, and we need to live justly. And and the, the simple thing about that is do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And then he says to love mercy. You know, it, it it doesn't just say show mercy. It says to love mercy, to to love showing mercy. Well, the difficult thing about mercy is they're so undeserving of it. They don't deserve this. That's what makes mercy, mercy. If they were deserving of it, it's a payment. And freely we have received the mercy of God. And he says, you go out and you see hurting people. And you see situations that people are in. Be moved with mercy. Give, the other, give to others the same kind of mercy that we want to receive from God. You know, we all want the mercies of God. Oh, God, please have mercy. God, I, I messed up here. Please have mercy. And God is abundant in his mercies. Otherwise, none of us would be here today. None of us would even have life. And he says, I want you to go out and I want you to be messengers of mercy, to love kindness, to to practice genuine love, to to give when it's not deserved, and, and give I don't just necessarily mean money, but to to give of yourselves, to be merciful, to extend grace and a second chance and to love mercy. So they were saying, what, what should we do? Can we come do this and offer all these sacrifices? He said, I want you to offer thousands day in and day out of going and doing justly and showing mercy. I, I, I want this to be a part of your life. And then he says, I want you to walk humbly with your God to walk humbly with God, to live our lives in understanding the reality of who God is and who we are, that anything good is God. And realizing that, the reason um, St. Vincent de Paul said, the reason why God is such a great lover of humility is, is that he is a great lover of truth. Humility is in fact truth, while pride is nothing but lying. I like that definition. Pride. I did it. That's a lie. The truth is, I am nothing. God is everything. And that's why God loves humility. And he says, be clothed with humility. So so you go out and you extend mercy and and maybe someone responds says, Man, you are the best thing that's come along in my life ever. You are wonderful. And deflect that praise to God. Humility is saying anything good is God. And understand. The reality, who does God choose? First Corinthians, the simple, the ignorant, the base, the foolish. That's me. That's us. I'm a believer. That's me. That's us. And understand that it it is God that must be at work in us. So he says, I want you to go out and and treat others as you would like to be treated. I want you to be a minister of mercy, ministering mercy wherever you go. I want you to walk humbly with God. And why? Because to be humble is to resemble Jesus Christ. To be proud is to resemble Satan. I mean, the two, the stark contrast. Humility resembles Jesus Christ, pride, Satan's sin, pride resembles Satan and and he says so this is what what does god require of you he says to do justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with your god and and i'm going to bring in one other thing because this under this encapsulates all of it turn to the book of habakkuk so just back a little bit you will If you weren't aware of it, you will become aware of it, that the book of Habakkuk is where it originated the term, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. The term, the just shall live by faith. It's quoted in the New Testament. But Habakkuk is the one that said, the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4. But the just shall live by faith. It is... Faith is a trust in God. You want to know God's will as a believer? Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God, and continue to trust God. This trust begins when we trust Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins. There has to come a time in our life where we realize, man, it's not my good works. It's not my family heritage. It's not my church membership or my baptism. There is nothing that can take away my sins but the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, I do now receive you. And we are trusting what God said forgive sins, we are believing that. And that's where all trust in God must begin. And if you're here today and have never called upon Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, you can't trust God until you do that. And there must come a time that you say, God, I trust your death, burial, and resurrection for the payment of my sin. I call upon Jesus Christ. But we sometimes confuse that trust with trusting God. That's the beginning of our trust of God. We need to trust God every day. Salvation is the beginning. But do we trust God to do what is right in our lives? I mentioned earlier that it's easy. And, and in my mind, I have had throughout my life many plans... On ways that God can be glorified. God, if you would just do this, if you would open this up and do this, man, you'd be glorified mightily here. And that's what Habakkuk was saying. God, if if you'd wipe out the Babylonians and the Assyrians, we'd say, what a great God we have. So God, when are you going to go to work and do that? He said, trust me, I'm at work. I'm going to have them come wipe you out. What? How how will that glorify you? You can't be glorified in that. He said, Then I'll, I'm doing that to deal with your heart. He said, Then I'll bring justice to them, and then you will be in a place that I'll receive glory. And over and over again in our lives, our lives take changes that go in directions we had no idea. And over and over again in our lives, we have to come back and say, Okay, God, I trust you. Or we can fight it. We can resist it. We can grow bitter. We can grow angry. We can just kind of get in a a numb zone where we just go through the motions. And that's what Micah was talking about. You're just going through the motions but there comes times over and over and, and daily in our lives that we have to say, God, you are God, and you know, and I don't, and I don't understand this. That isn't what I would have done, but I trust you. And that is where you see the presence of God come into our lives See, if we cannot trust God for the temporal, the things of our life right here, how do you think you're trusting Him for eternity? I mean, Charles Spurgeon mentioned about trusting God. He said, there is one who cares for you. His eye is fixed on you. His heart beats "...with pity for your woe, and his omnipotent hand shall bring you the needed help." He continued, "...the darkest cloud shall scatter itself in showers of mercy. He, if you are one of his family, will bind up your wounds. He will heal your broken heart. Do not doubt his grace because of your tribulation." But believe that He loves you as much in the season of trouble as in the times of happiness. And there come seasons of trouble in our life that we need to simply trust Him. And understand, you know what, I may not feel it, I may not see it, but I'm not going to doubt that God loves me as much now as he ever has and ever will. And it's that trust. That's living by faith. That's dependent upon him. And you notice in all of these, there's a progression of these things from, from what is external to what is internal From what is human relations to divine relations, doing justice demands loving kindness, which necessitates walking humbly with God in fellowship with Him that is built by trust of God. I don't know what there may be in your life, but I know this. God is asking every one of us today to trust him. Some, it may be to trust him for salvation. And today can be the day of salvation for you. To you as a believer... It may be some major thing. It may be what we would consider a minor thing. But God says, okay, trust me. That guy at work that gets under your skin, I want you to treat him as you would want to be treated, and I want you to have mercy on him. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Okay, God, it doesn't make any sense. He is as as heathen as heathen, and he'll just mock me and take advantage. But I'm going to trust you, Lord. It's trusting God when you, in and of yourself, do not want to forgive that person in your life. But you say, God, I'll forgive. I'm trusting you. You know their heart. you'll deal there. I just have to take care of my heart and my life. Years ago, dr monroe parker he was a he was an evangelist and and um, a great man of god he was he'd been in our home several times. And um, he was traveling through South Alabama on a hot, sultry Alabama day, and he stopped at a watermelon stand and picked out a watermelon and asked the proprietor how much it cost. He says it's a dollar ten. Parker dug in his pocket and only found a dollar bill. He said, "All I have is a dollar." That's okay, the proprietor said. I'll trust you for it. Well, that's mighty nice of you, Dr. Parker responded. So he picked up the watermelon and started to leave. And the guy said, hey, where are you going? He said, well, you said you'd trust me for it. I meant I'd trust you for the 10 cents. You didn't give me the dollar. He said, you weren't trusting me for the 10 cents. You were taking a gamble on the 10 cents. You weren't trusting me at all. And you know what? That's often how we are with Jesus Christ. We give him a little, I'll trust you for this 10 cents, but I want control over this. Are you really trusting him? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Christ Jesus but to trust and obey. Heavenly Father, as we mentioned earlier, I know that you are asking every one of us to trust you in new ways. And Lord, you know how we struggle with that how we struggle with treating others the way we would like to be treated, how we struggle with showing mercy, how we struggle with our pride rather than embracing humility, how we struggle with trusting you. And Lord, I pray most importantly for individuals here today that have never trusted you for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, may today be the day that they call upon Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. And then I pray for every believer here, Lord, may we be living epistles as we go out from here that love and live justly and love to show mercy. And are clothed with humility as we trust and obey you. Lord, I know the battles go on between the flesh and the spirit in our lives. May we know the joy of sweet submission to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.